Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And as we speak, Canada is getting ready to begin its Davis Cup Finals campaign from Madrid, Spain, and they've landed in Group B alongside Kazakhstan and Sweden as they make their return just two years ago uh, from making an historic final run. And on today's episode, we speak with Braden Schnur, who joins the team as likely the second singles player on the roster to talk about what it means to represent his country and about the uphill battle facing the Canadian squad this year. And uh, Ben, it definitely is an uphill battle for Canada, missing their two big guns in Denis Shapovalov and Felix Auger-Aliassime. Yeah, I think that's the place to to start, obviously. I think we had really high hopes for Canada as a nation. I mean, we've talked about it all season, how strong a nation Canada is in the sport of tennis and how we've emerged on the international scene over the past couple of years in such a big way. We saw the fruits of that two years ago when uh, Denis Shapovalov uh, Vashik Pospisil and Felix Ojealiasim uh, were leading Canada to their first ever final in this international competition before losing to Spain and beating some big time teams along the way. And uh, unfortunately, uh, since Dennis, I think, is coming off a long season, which is standard, really, he plays most of the tournaments of the year. He has a pretty full calendar. Um, he opted out and Felix Ojealiasim says he has a bit of a nagging issue with his knee and leg. So he's resting up. You look at the time frame of where this is falling in the calendar, late November. It's a quick turnover. They're trying to get ready for 2022. That unfortunately, this is a competition right now that isn't always drawing uh, country's best players. Yeah, and I don't think we can fault Felix or Dennis because those guys already in their young careers have answered the bell so many times to represent yep. their country, both in Davis Cup and uh, ATP Cup as well. So, uh, you know, if Dennis says that he's gassed and needs a break after a long season and Felix has a nagging knee injury, nobody wants to be too tired in, you know, just a few weeks' time when the 2022 season begins, which will actually be in 2021 as those tournaments typically start at the end of December. So, uh, you know, can't knock either of those uh, young guys for saying that uh, they need the time off to recuperate. And if we want to look at the positive of this is it gives other players a chance to step up. I mean, how cool is it to see Steven Diaz, who's only represented Canada once in his career, uh, played one single Davis Cup match, and that was back in 2010. So pretty cool to see him have this opportunity as well. Uh, Braden Schnur. Um, has, has represented Canada before and was part of the, the crew in 2019 in a supporting role. Uh, Peter Polanski at the age of 33 is kind of the uh, elder statesman, as I called him in the pre-tournament press conference, tongue-in-cheek, of course. Um, and then we've got Vashik Pospisil, who is really going to be relied on heavily to play in every possible scenario, singles and doubles. And uh, boy, he really carried Canada along with Chapeau two years ago. Uh, nothing would surprise me in terms of what he can accomplish when he's repping Canada. Yeah. And he said um, in their pre-tournament press conference that 2019 Davis cup was one of the, the greatest memories of his career. And you look at some of the huge wins that he pulled off. Um, I believe Fanini against Italy, big win against one of the Russians, like all these huge singles wins. We, we knew we could see it from Dennis Shapovalov. And in fact, in that week, Felix Ojealiasim wasn't fully healthy. So initially the plan had been Dennis and Felix to be playing most of those singles and then Vashik guiding the doubles, but it was Vashik stepping in and 
singles, and he wasn't that far removed from a serious back surgery, um, you know, from the front end of the season, had just made his return a, a few months ago, and then just went on this incredible run sort of ending 2019, and it culminated in what he did at Davis Cup, and that was, I think for him, career-wise, such a stepping stone to get his singles form back, and then we know 2020, he was the ATP Comeback Player of the Year, so uh, he's proven so strong in international competition, and for me, the big standout for him, at least in this group, we can talk about the other countries, is I, I do think Canada has the best doubles player of any of these three countries in Group B having Pospisil there. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And uh, we really couldn't have asked for a better draw, to be perfectly honest, and no disrespect intended to uh, Sweden or Kazakhstan, but you're not going to get a better round-robin draw than that. And uh, I mean, they could be saying the same thing looking at Canada, to be perfectly fair True. with the roster that we have there. Uh, but it's a very good draw. I mean, look at Group A, for example, poor Ecuador, who's in there with Russia and Spain, who to me are two of the strongest ones uh, in the entire group uh, at Davis Cup finals this year. So uh, this is as good as we could hope for. I think anything could happen in this round, Robin. It, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Canada struggled against the two. It wouldn't surprise me if they were able to get past them as well in advance. So uh, it's going to be definitely worth watching uh, an, an added level of excitement. And uh, I'm, I'm ready to see what happens. Sort of like we, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, Ben, with our female contingency in the Billie Jean Cup uh, finals. Uh, they were also going in as underdogs and, and they beat defending champions France in their opening round robin. So uh, anything here is, is possible as they say. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it feels like a pretty similar scenario. And uh, I, I did make that parallel actually with Braden Schnur uh, when speaking to him. We will get to that interview shortly. But yeah, looking at the Swedish team, which... I, I don't know if I don't I don't want to say who's the weakest in the group. We don't really know yet. They do have the two Emer brothers who to me are kind of speedsters around the court. Mikhail Emer is top 100 right now, 93rd in the world, so he's dangerous. Both of them are really fast and athletic, but don't necessarily possess big shot weapons. And for me, the one player that's standing out in this group overall in terms of singles, he's on Kazakhstan. Alexander Bublik is, to me, far and away the best player uh, found in Group B. He's world number 36. He's dangerous in doubles, too. He actually made the finals of the French Open in doubles this year. He was in a pair of ATP singles finals, made quarterfinals of Miami Open and Madrid. He has a lot of firepower from the back of the court and mixes in some trickery and drop shots. So... I think Kazakhstan's holding probably the biggest weapon of any of the three teams, but you know, Bublik can't do everything himself. So if, if Canada, I think can find its way through a couple key singles matches, you get into the doubles, you have Vashik there. And I don't know how Frank Dancevic is going to line up a double squad, but I'll be curious to see that. But I think Canada does have a realistic chance to, to find its way through here. Yeah, Frank was holding his cards tight to his chest, of course. You don't want to give too much away with your opponents listing in. All he would say is something we already knew, that Vashik was going to play in singles and doubles. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, if Braden Schnur is uh, healthy and ready to rock, then I would personally put him as the, the number two singles guy, mm -hmm. uh, given the surface. And, and, you know, he has had some success in the past as well. I think of the New York Open, which was just a couple of years ago, that really showed what he's capable of when he's clicking. Um, and then the doubles, yeah, to me, is a total uh, sort of crapshoot. I mean, I'd almost put Frank Dancevich out there in doubles, given his experience for Canada over the years. And hey, you know what? If I was Sweden, 
Uh, I wonder what Robin Soderling has left in the tank because I bet you he could be out there and play a competitive game still. Uh, he's the captain, of course, for that Swedish squad. But uh, let's have a look, uh, Ben, at the, uh, the chat you had with Braden Schnur uh, ahead of this competition. And uh, we'll uh, sort of recap uh, after we give it a listen here. Happy to be joined on the podcast by a Canadian tennis player who was recently named to the Davis Cup Finals team for 2021 as they're off to Madrid, Spain. Uh, Braden Schnur uh, joining us on Matchpoint Canada this week. Braden, thanks uh, for coming on and speaking with us again. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. And um, just uh, for starters, get, getting another opportunity to, to go down to Spain and compete for your country, what, what does that mean to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, to represent Canada is, is always, um, um, you know, it's, it's the best feeling and, and it's what we strive for, uh, as athletes is to represent your country and play and play, uh, play with the country's name on your back or under the flag. And so, uh, just to be nominated for the team is, was fantastic. It's probably the best way to end the year. Um, I couldn't see a better way to end any season other than being, um, at the Davis Cup and being able to represent Canada and being alongside uh, the best Canadian players and having them as my teammate teammates. Yeah. And um, I mean, so many fans will look back to such fond memories of 2019, which was an historic year for Canada and Davis Cup reaching the finals for the first time uh, in its history. Uh, you were there as well, um, cheering alongside the team, part of that environment. What, what was that experience uh, like for you, even though you may not have played and taken the court but you were still a part of that atmosphere yeah it was very surreal you know just to see um our teammates uh you know playing obviously playing incredible tennis uh and then again being the underdogs pretty much the whole way through because we were in a really hard box with italy and the united states uh so to just come out of that box and then again to beat australia and then russia in the semifinals, which russia is now probably one of the most dominant tennis nations and uh in in tennis um so yeah i mean very surreal um every match going in as the underdogs you know coming out at the end of the day we're all just smiling ear to ear because we were just so content with uh how how everything was going uh but yeah you know i gained a lot of valuable valuable experience um watching watching my teammates from the bench um you know uh, although i didn't get to play um you know where it's it's not always uh my decision if I'm going to play or not, you know, it's up to the coaches and obviously coming from a nation where we have Felix and Dennis and Vashik and Milos and all these guys that are, you know, incredible players. Um, sometimes you're not always going to get to play, but you have to do what's for, best for the team. And, uh, and in 2019, I think I did a great job at doing, doing what I needed to do. And uh, yeah, I took a lot of valuable uh, lessons learned from that experience. And uh, 2021 will be different. You mentioned so many of those great players and, and Canada is such a powerhouse tennis nation these days, but unfortunately, Felix Ojeda-Aliassime and, and Denis Shapovalov uh, will not be competing due to, I think, injury and fatigue, obviously coming uh, towards the end of a, a long season. And that means probably for yourself, you, you will see the opportunity to take the court, I imagine, in singles or maybe even doubles. Um, I, I guess for the team itself, what is your approach and mentality knowing you are missing a couple of your your big guys yeah I mean it, it's unfortunate I mean we probably go into the event with our original roster having Dennis and Felix listed as as maybe one of the favorites um you know or definitely a huge threat 
if not that. And now that they're out, um, you know, it, it is a, it's unfortunate, but again, it was their decision and it's been a long year. It's been a long two years, actually. We never really got an off season last year. So, um, you know, it gives an opportunity for other players to step up. Uh, I'm sure Frank and Guillaume will, will put whoever's in the best form out on court and, uh, you know, whatever happens, uh, happens and we'll go with the decision. And again, it's a team, this is a team event. It's not an individual event. So the coaches need to decide what's best for the team. And if I do get the opportunity to play, I'll make the most of it. And I'll took every, I'll take everything that I've learned from 2019, uh, and put it on the court. And uh, just just getting to your form, uh, looks like you you were recently playing uh, the challenger in Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, looked like a successful week for you. You made semifinals, had a couple of tough three set matches, which you got through. Um, was that a positive week for you on the court? And and right now, just how are you feeling about your tennis and the way you're playing? Yeah, I mean, Charlottesville was a great week for me. Um, I made the final there two years ago, the semifinals this past year. Uh, on courts that particularly don't like because they're very slow so again you know to pull out those close three setters I had been uh, you know they hadn't been going my way those tough three setters uh, most of the year this year but uh, this fall uh, I managed to turn around a lot of those close matches and they've been falling my way which is a huge positive and and that's the step uh, that I, I needed to take in order to start building confidence within my game and believing and and knowing that uh, you know I'm just you're one week away from the ranking flying up and being in the big tournaments again. So, uh, you know, I feel like my game's um, right where it needs to be. Um, you know, I've been playing at a very good level for the past couple of months and I feel match tough and ready to go. Yeah. Just to, to piggyback on, on that previous question, the last time we spoke actually was a national bank open and you had just qualified for the event. And that was definitely a successful one for you. And um, when we spoke, then you said you felt like the results weren't quite there, but you were trusting the process and you liked the way mm -hmm. you were playing on the court. Um, I, I guess, yeah. How do you feel about that process at this point in terms of yeah. your tennis? I mean, um, yeah, I feel, I feel completely fine with where I am. Uh, you know, obviously if I'm, if I'm looking online and looking at my ranking, uh, it doesn't reflect or, or make me happy to see where I where I'm ranked, where I am. But, uh, you know, I've had a bunch of people tell me that, uh, my game is not, doesn't reflect my ranking right now. And I truly believe that, um, the rankings are, I don't know how familiar you are with the ranking system, but they're all, um, a little bit messed up right now mm -hmm. because they're protecting a lot of the top guys. And they're keep letting them keep their points, which is unfortunate for guys who like me, who have been playing many weeks of the year, the last two years. Um, so it's, again, you know, it's just, I got I have to turn a blind eye to the rankings and just uh, follow my game and look at, look at the hard facts. And the facts are that, you know, the matches that I've been losing uh, in the last four to five months, I would say 95% of them have come to top 100 players. And I haven't lost to many guys outside of the top 100. And um, I've been winning the matches I'm supposed to. And uh, that's what matters most. And the rankings will, will fall where they need to be when they go back to normal.
I, I love that mindset. And I want to just make a parallel actually with uh, Canada's Billie Jean King Cup team. And uh, they were a bit, um, you know, understaffed when they took the court and competed. They didn't have Layla Fernandez. They didn't have Bianca Andreescu. And uh, we had Rebecca Marino step in as the top singles. And uh, she's ranked just inside the top 150. And I, I spoke with a couple of the players that she battled and pushed mm-hmm. to three sets. And she's had some big wins this year. And um, that was sort of the sentiment that I was getting that she's playing much, much higher than her ranking and we saw Canada honestly beat France there maybe is there a similar type of mentality you think you guys can carry over to this team event as as underdogs who believe you can kind of punch above your weight yeah we may be underdogs but again we have the experience from 2019 um you know uh most of the team uh you know Peter and Steven are new additions to the team but the whole rest of the team, and, and when I say team, I mean, it goes a lot further than just the players on court. Um, we know what it takes to get there, uh, whether that's recovery on off court, preparation on court, uh, nutrition, all that stuff. Uh, we're very familiar with the hours it's going to take. These are long days um, at the Davis Cup. Uh, when these ties are going on, you're, you know, you're there for four or five hours in a row. And uh, I think our team is very equipped to handle um, you know, the stress of it all. And, uh, you know, I think it's also re- refreshing to see um, guys that will have a new opportunity to play uh, and, and a chance for them to showcase their game. Obviously, Vashik is very well known. He's played a lot. He's pretty much Mr. Davis Cup in Canada. So, uh, you know, him leading our team is uh, couldn't think of anyone better. And uh, of course, the captain as well. Um, another type of Mr. Davis Cup. He's uh, yeah. he's covered, I believe, twenty four ties now, and um, so he has so much experience in the international competition. I uh, just, mm-hmm. yeah, how important to the squad is uh, Frank Dancevic's presence, uh, not only as a captain but just uh, as as a leader and friend to you guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when he stepped in, it was really refreshing because he was just off of, uh, just came out of playing his career or finishing his career. So he was very familiar with the game. He's seen it. He's played against it. Uh, he was right there. And so to have a captain so young and uh, that's played alongside me, I've competed against Frank. I practiced and trained with him a lot. And we were close friends towards the end of his career. Uh, it, it's really valuable to have him on the bench um, versus a captain that's, you know, maybe has a lot of experience or a lot of years under his belt, but is, you know, is, uh, is a little bit more taken away from the game for a while. A um, couple more questions for you. It, it seems some of the teams who uh, do do well in, in these team environments, not only do they have terrific players, but they seem to build great team chemistry. They seem to bond and gel well together. Um, would you say you guys are pretty close-knit in this roster? Do you all know each other very well? Yeah, we do. Um, we're, I mean, we're very close. Uh, I'm not going to go and say that we're we're the closest of the bunch. There are definitely countries that are much closer than, than the Canadian members are. But when we do see each other, we're all in good spirits. We get along. Um, you know, we do see each other uh, quite a bit nowadays. Uh, you know, each Grand Slam and some of the bigger events, uh, National Bank Open and such. And yeah, we always, pra- we always, for the most part, when we go to events, Canadians practice with Canadians and you know we grab lunch and we're all buddies so uh, I, f- I feel like the camaraderie and the team the team chemistry will be you know fantastic uh, just as it was in 2019. And uh, last question just uh, your overall thoughts on group B, group B you're alongside Sweden and, and Kazakhstan uh, what type of challenges do do both of 
both of those countries pose? Yeah, um, I feel like Kazakhstan is a lot of firepower, um, you know, being led by Bublik, who serves really big and being in Madrid, where it's going to be altitude, he's going to be a, he's going to definitely be a tough match. And then, you know, you have Kukushkin, who's been top 50 or top 100 for forever, it seems. Um, so he's tough as nails. And then you have uh, Sweden with the Ymer brothers, um, who are like tough as nails again. You know, you have to go win those matches. These kids are not easy. They're probably two of the fittest guys on tour. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not an easy box, that's for sure. But it's uh, definitely not the hardest. Um, they're, they're in 2019, I would say we probably had the toughest box of the group and uh you know this year we're gonna have our chance and i truly believe in this team and i believe that we can make it out of this box um with the team that we have uh going to madrid well i i love the confidence and we'll all be uh watching closely and uh can't wait to see what canada can produce uh, at davis cup Braden, thanks so much uh, for sharing your time again uh, with the podcast we appreciate it thanks so much ben all the best there you have it, my interview with Braden Schnur. And, you know, we, we also spoke, I, I was uh, reflecting on when we did chat earlier in the season um, after he had qualified for the National Bank Open, which was a good result for him because uh, he had sort of admitted 2020 and 2021 results-wise has not been um, up to par for him. But he's also pointed out, like, he's lo- he has lost a lot of these tough, tough three setters. And I was kind of looking at his player card and through, through some of these losses that he does have in 2021. And he has like lost, you know, seven, five in the third, six, four in the third in these tight competitive matches and uh, just play well at a challenger making a semifinal. So I, I think the tide could be turning for him and maybe, you know, now is the time to summon some of that quality he produced in 2019 in the New York open when he found himself uh, making his first career final, which was just an unbelievable run. We remember a couple of years ago yeah you can tell he's really excited for this and as he said it's the best way to end the year which is kind of in stark contrast to other players who haven't gone not just for Canada but other countries as well who were burnt out at the end of a season and I guess it really it's interesting to see how Davis Cup is viewed depending on what kind of year you've had this could be a last chance at redemption for a player like Braden Schnur a last chance to end your season on a positive uh, build some confidence for the upcoming season and uh, also depending on where you find yourself in the rankings so for sure I think a guy like Braden Schnur Peter Polanski they're going to answer the bell anytime they're asked Um, and uh, for other countries other players who could step up and, and make a name for themselves as well in this competition so I like to hear that excitement I like to see that he's pretty pumped up for this and uh, looking forward to seeing what happens. And, and hopefully on our next episode, we can say, Hey, Canada's still in it and they're still going and we can preview the, uh, the quarters or the semis or whatever, uh, you know, is in store for Canada beyond round Robin. Yeah. I, I would love for that uh, to be the case. And, um, he acknowledged too, that while it's a uh, disappointing and unfortunate that they don't have Felix and Dennis there, I think he has the right mindset. They have the right mindset that, they have to, as a group, use this as an opportunity. Like, when would we see the opportunity that maybe Braden Schnur is playing a key singles match for Davis Cup, or maybe Steven Diaz has to step in, or Peter Polanski has done it before, um, you know, try and carry the torch here for Canada. So I think they're using that as fuel, I hope. We saw the way Canada did so at Billie Jean King Cup, um, defeating France, not coming through and getting to the quarters, but still getting a big win over France and being competitive despite the, the fact they were missing Layla and Bianca. It feels like a very similar scenario this time around.
Yeah, I feel like with this squad, what would be deemed a success is at least taking out one of these two teams, Kazakhstan yeah. or Sweden. Anything beyond that would be gravy. I'm, you know, as we said off the top, certainly possible, um, but not necessarily uh, to be expected or, or counted on. Um, as Braden said, the team knows what to do to be successful. And I like how he mentioned it wasn't just the players on the court, that it's a real group effort between having your coach or captain, I should say, Frank Dancevich around, who has the experience to draw upon and sort of share with these guys and the rest of the squad too, from the physios, the trainers, support staff who are all there as well. It's a real tight knit group that Canada has sent over and uh, you know, Madrid, there's not going to be anyone there locally. I'm sure who really cares one way or the other who emerges from this group, but there is a contingency of, of Canadians who make the trek uh, loyal tennis fans that will go anywhere to support the squad. And I'm sure we're going to be hearing uh, lots of noise from them in the crowd as we watch from back here in Canada on TV. Without a doubt, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're also on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Let's just talk about a few of the other teams before we wrap up here. Um, Top teams overall. I mean, this is the most compelling storyline because for me, two of the best teams here have landed in the same group to begin Russia for me I don't know about you but Russia has to be I think the favorite to win this event you look at bringing over U.S. Open champion Daniil Medvedev is there Andre Rublev Karen Hachinov Aslan Karatsev like an extraordinary amount of depth like all of those four players are fantastic singles players we've seen Rublev play great in doubles too I mean he he won a, a mixed doubles gold medal earlier this year so he can certainly hold his own in doubles for me Russia's the top team and it's so challenging because they're they've landed in a group with Spain Nadal is not there of course but Spain is certainly dangerous Pablo Carreño Busta very experienced player two-time U.S. Open semifinalist Carlos Alcaraz who's like breakout player of the year I would say veteran Feliciano Lopez so they're a very compelling dangerous squad and then they have the home advantage so I, I look at those two teams and I wonder is it feasible like Russia for me is the favorite but it's feasible they they go out in group a yeah, I mean, it sucks to be both of those countries having to face one another so early in this in this event. Uh, I don't bet on tennis, but if I did, I think I'd throw down some money on Russia because when you look mm-hmm. at that lineup, they are so strong. Uh, Spain in any other of the groups, and I would say, you know, they'd be the favorites to emerge as well with the mix of veteran and, and youngsters on that squad. Um, Feliciano Lopez is there. He's got to be, what, 40 years old by now, I would imagine, still trucking, but bringing that experience to the table. Um, but the Russians are stacked, and kudos to Medvedev and Rublev for going after yeah. the ATP finals, which just ended. I mean, we say that we can understand how Felix and Dennis aren't there, and their seasons ended even earlier. But for these guys, Novak Djokovic as well deserves some props for going over. They could have easily said, hey, that's that's it for me. I've got nothing left to give. But Kudos to Novak. That guy pretty much always represents Serbia in international play and also plays the tournaments in his home country in Serbia when they happen, even if it's to the detriment of his scheduling, I would say. And so, you know, there's definitely something honorable about that. And, um, you know, who knows how much is left for him at this time of the year, but he's Novak Djokovic, right? So he's going to be the favorite in any match he plays in this event. 
Yeah. And just the presence for me, the presence of having the world number one player makes Serbia a threat to win this whole thing. And he's not the only good player on this squad. I mean, he's an unbelievable player, but Filip Krajinovic is no slouch himself. Very strong uh, singles player. Dusan Lajevic, we've seen him have some big wins in the past. So he's a threat there. A couple other countries I found interesting. I, I think the American squad squad could be dangerous. Um, you look at Riley Opelka, the season he's had. For me, he's kind of the new John Isner, though Isner is here. And the serve competing. bots. The, self the serve, serve bots. bots. Yeah. Exactly. Although Opelka, to me, moves better at the back of the court. Um, Taylor Fritz opted out of this event, but Francis Tiafo stepping in. And I think that's, you know, as good a replacement as you could ask for. If not, probably he's probably had a better season and Fritz dealt with an injury. Tiafo's played great all year and opportunity for Jack Sock, who used to be a double superstar and trying to rebuild his career. He's there as well for the United States. So I think they're pretty dangerous. Italy, I think, could be dangerous having Yannick Sinner there competing in Davis Cup. That's exciting. Of course, they have youngster Lorenzo Musetti, who's faded a bit post-French Open, but opportunity for him. Senego, Fanini, the veteran of that squad, so a lot of good players there. And also, Great Britain was kind of interesting to me, just given the season Cam Norrie had, um, that he'll get an opportunity being the lead singles player for Great Britain. Dan Evans, a strong player as well. So some depth uh, among several countries here. Yeah, it's an interesting mix of, of teams and players. And I agree that the American squad might not have like, you know, that one player that stands out to you. But uh, overall, definitely that depth, as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, one more thought before we kind of wrap up here on my part anyways, is having Medvedev, Djokovic, Rublev, having players like that in the event is really legitimizing this Davis Cup tournament, which has its fair share of critics, let's be honest, yep. um, who don't like the new format that was introduced in 2019, who don't like this sort of super tournament at the end of the year when players are absolutely gassed. But when you do have players like Djokovic and these other top 10 players who are there, it kind of does give it that uh, legitimacy and sort of, um, yeah, redeems what otherwise I think would be a, a even more critiqued event if you didn't have these top names participating. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's certainly adding credibility. And, and look, I, I mean, we shouldn't have to speak about credibility when you're talking about the biggest international competition in the tennis world, uh, Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup. So we want it. We've said we want it to be a big deal. I know the players are going to, you know, wear the flag on their back with pride. Same for Canada, which is a big opportunity for them here in Group B. And unfortunately, the players that we are missing couldn't make it, but there are plenty of stars still attending. And I think it's going to be an exciting event. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to sort of straddle the fence here for a moment because on, on, the, one, on the one hand, we didn't critique Davis Cup two years ago when Canada was parading all the way to the finals. I think no. all of us were quite happy with this. Oh, hey, the new format looks good. Yeah, I love yeah. it uh, because your country's there. Um, yeah. But at the same point, what I really miss uh, and the biggest drawback to me of the new format, and it's huge, and Arash Madani uh, from Sportsnet, who's been on our podcast several times, he didn't pull any punches when he said Davis Cup used to be as unique and special an event as there was in sports, but no longer. And what he's alluding to, I believe, is the fact that Canada hasn't had to play a home tie in Davis Cup since fall of 2018 in Toronto against Netherlands. And that's the biggest thing that's missing. And that was the thing that made Davis Cup so special was mm -hmm. getting to play once or twice a year in front of rabid fans on home soil. And that no longer necessarily happens with this new format. And that's a big thing that is irreplaceable to me, uh, despite the strong Canadian support that 
you know, we're going to get from those few hundred fans. I hope that many anyways, we've gone over there, but not the same as playing in front of a packed arena here at, at home. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. And and players were outspoken at the time too when they did change the format, saying you've taken away like the essence or integrity of of the event. The event is here to stay though, and this is the new format. I guess we're going to have to have to adapt and, and get used to it. We certainly did a good job of doing that in 2019 when they made the finals. Uh, we'll see what Canada can do. We're excited. Davis Cup action is starting up and you can follow the coverage as well on Sportsnet or Ashmadani. We'll be reporting courtside as well. We'll be reporting all the coverage as well from our social accounts. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. Smoke from a cigarette